Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation. Happy Wednesday, everyone. Welcome to the Jesus That's Good News podcast. This is a space where we're going to share the gospel, aka the good news, to anyone who has a vulnerability to pull up a chair at Jesus' table with no reservation needed. Julie, 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 Julie. You know, there was a song out in the 70s called Julie, 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 Do You Love Me? Did you know that? I did not know that. Yes, yes. I don't think that's where the Julie came from for my name. But yeah, there was a song all about me. I brought you in singing today, Julie, because I was at a Keith Urban concert last night and he brought the house down. Did he? Oh, I, I like Keith Urban. I don't know too many of his songs, but... I do like that one, I Want to Love Somebody Like You. That's a great song. We're going to talk about love a little bit today. We sure are. And uh, last night I was surrounded by good company, and we're going to talk about that as well. So you got to go out with friends last night. If you would have gone to the concert by yourself, or maybe just you and Katie, and there's nothing wrong with just you and Katie, but would it have changed the vibe for you guys had it not been with your friends? Absolutely. It's always good to be surrounded by your people, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I love my tribe. Everybody needs a tribe. You talk about your centric circles, how you have like your very close friends. Mm, Yes. And then you have, you know, your next layer of friends and outward and outward and outward. And so it's good to be surrounded by those close people. Yeah. So maybe today, as we look at the scripture, we'll have opportunities to celebrate that. I think this is a really great time to celebrate those friendships and consider who we're doing life with. And I'm glad to do life with you, Devin. It's an it's an honor. I feel the same way, Julie. You are in my close circle. Oh, I wish I could say the same about you. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I'm floating out there somewhere in your life. If you're on the periphery, it's okay. Yeah. Okay, you, you talked about the closeness of these friends. And like, are these the kind of friends that you can tell them, you know, things that like, hey, you have something stuck in your teeth or... Yes, because I better get the same back from them because I can't stand when I'm out at a restaurant and something's in my tooth and I go to the bathroom and I figure it out. And I'm like, dude, nobody's going to tell me. Yeah, I'm totally the same way. You know you have great friends when you can both receive that truth and get that truth in love. It makes all the difference. So I think there's a vulnerability there too, isn't there, that we can't take for granted. We need to remember that allowing people to point things out to us or to come along and help us, it's really a sign of strength and not weakness. And it takes courage to admit when you need a little bit of help. So I'm excited to look at the scripture today. So Devin, do you mind? Do you want to do some reading today? Let's point people in the right direction. Let's do it. So in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? 
or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. So he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Oh, I I wish I could have been in that crowd. Would that not have been a fantastic thing to be a part of, to witness that? I mean, here we have Jesus being Jesus. He is such a rock star here. I mean, he's not doing anything surprising at all. And we're going to talk a little bit about the healing and all that, but really... I mean, it's these friends that stand out in this story. Devin, a couple of weeks ago when you and I were kind of planning out what we were going to talk about each week, Mm -hmm. I know you were drawn to this story. Because, yes, Jesus is amazing in every scripture, but it's the friends who are kind of the main character in this parable and their actions and their words and how they truly change their friend's life is just stunning. It certainly is. The beauty of this, too, I think, is that Yes, Jesus is doing his thing, but the good news comes from the friends. Yes. And so we are invited to be a part of that good news. And I think that's the encouragement from today. So yeah, let's talk a little bit about the context, but we're going to talk about the importance of relationships in our lives. Yeah. And shout out to Lauren, who's in our Bible study. She had a great statement the other night. She said, you are the company that you keep. So I want us to keep that on top of mind as we go through this story. Yeah, shout out to everyone in our Bible study. Lauren especially challenges us. Yes, she does. All the best ways. Lauren, we love you. So thank you for sharing that insight the other day. So I'll give a quick background if that's okay, Devin. Yeah, bring it on. So what we see here in Mark chapter 2 is Jesus has quickly gained a reputation, uh, not just as a, a brilliant rabbi and teacher, but more importantly, as a healer. What's amazing too is like in a world where there's no technology, The good news spreads fast. Jesus, it says here, had been out and kind of like doing a Keith Urban tour, right? He was out among the people (laughs) and he was doing his thing and he had been gone for some time and news spread quickly that he was back in town. So Jesus was born in Nazareth, which was kind of a little podunk town. Nothing good really happened there except for Jesus being born really is the only good thing that happened there. But he kind of made his home base Capernaum. His bestie, Peter, was from Capernaum. A lot of people think that he stayed at Peter's house, but that's when he was kind of tired and needing a rest. And I think Jesus is like, man, I've been on tour for a while. I just want to rest. And everybody's like, hey, Jesus is here. I'm buying tickets. Packing the house. And and it's so amazing. There's so many people there. Not only is the house packed, but like you can imagine people standing around the house Mm -hmm. just trying to get a peek, right? Or just trying to listen and to hear what Jesus is saying. I-, I saw some pictures from your concert last night. It looked like you guys had room to kind of dance around a little bit. At Riverbend, there's the pavilion where there's like actual seats. So imagine that being Peter's house. And then on the outskirts is turf grass. And that's considered the lawn where we were. Last night it wasn't sold out, but when it is sold out, it is like standing room only, like shoulder to shoulder. So this is how I'm imagining everybody is outside of Peter's house as well. So here's a question for you, Devin. You know, in that day, we have to remember that there were other rabbis. Jesus wasn't the only teacher at that time. And the Pharisees took a lot of pride in being great teachers of the law. So, you know, great teachers come and go, but it makes you wonder, why was it 
that people were so eager to be in the presence of Jesus? It's because he brought the good news. Like all these people were so used to getting, you know, the Pharisees law shoved down their throat when they're really not even asking for it, but that's how the Pharisees roll. They're just going to give it to you anyway. Yeah. And I think people are just so used to, to their teachings where it's, you know, about shame and it's about you're not good enough. And if you don't know these laws and you're, I don't even care about you where Jesus came and he brought hope, he brought healing, he brought the good word. And people are like, this is what I'm craving. Yeah. And, and it's amazing. 2000 years later, we still crave that. Still crave it. I had a friend tell me one time that she returned to the church of her youth after trying a couple different other churches to see what they were like. But she returned to the church of her youth because she needed to feel guilty at the end of a sermon. Now, to me, that is, that's bad news. That is not understanding why Jesus came. Um, and that here we have people 2,000 years ago crammed into a small house, I would imagine, with overflow because they were looking for hope. They were looking for exactly what you said, the good news. This podcast will never be based on shame or guilt Mm-mm. or the bad news. And, and we're not sugarcoating that. Like We're not sugarcoating the bad news to make it look like good news. My friends, we truly believe that this is good news. And this is why the house is packed. And this is why the friends are like, dude, let's call him Bob. Bob, the paralytic, right? This is like, Bob, we're getting you there. Yep. No matter what it takes. Bob, you're getting healed today, my man. Bob, we heard Jesus is back in town. We're getting you there, no matter what. Now, let me ask you a question. You were at Riverbend last night, you said. If someone would have showed up, let's say you were packed in tight, and you're like, you know... I was going to say bebopping. Your your age of people don't bebop, really, do they? Or do we? <laughs> to Keith Urban. And someone comes up with, like, someone in a wheelchair. Yeah. And they're trying to get closer to the stage. What would you do, naturally? I would hope that I would let them through because they're in a wheelchair. But, I mean, if I've worked my butt <laughs> off to get to that spot early on in the day. And maybe that's what the people thought at this house. No, I've been here. Yeah, we've been waiting for, like, weeks. For Jesus to come back to see this rabbi, to get close to him. We've heard he can heal people. And, and maybe they brought individuals that needed healing too. We don't know. But can you imagine these guys show up carrying Bob the paralytic? And they've got to be jostling through the crowd like, hey, paralyzed man coming through. And no one's moving apparently. Mm-mm. But what I love about these guys is they're relentless, Devin. These four friends are like, well, can't do it that way. Try the roof. There we go. Why not? Why not? Nobody else is doing it. Nobody else is doing it. Oh, Devin, that was a brilliant observation, right? Somehow they get him up to the, the roof. And it wasn't all that uncommon for those houses um, at that time to have kind of an outer... You guys, it's funny. I'm making like hand gestures. Like I'm, I'm gesturing like what a, what, a, what a rooftop, you know, stairway looks like right now to Devin. But... It would not have been uncommon for them to have that stairwell to go up to the roof, but imagine you're the owner of the house. No, because I know what a roof costs, and if somebody's tearing down my roof, I'm going to have an issue. Even if it's just made of mud and, like, (laughs) sticks and leaves. Hey, that's sweat equity you put into that thing. It's still my roof, too, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So, yeah, imagine you're you're sitting there, and pieces of your roof, you know, the ceiling is kind of crumbling in, And I wonder what Jesus did in that moment, too. (laughs) 
like he's sitting inside and all of a sudden there's like pieces of roof just falling on his head. And I think you had a couple different reactions. Again, if I'm owning the house, I'm not happy about that. Yeah, if I'm Peter, I'm like, who the heck is up on my roof? Yeah, you're paying for that. I have a door, guys. (laughs) Or a window or something. And so we have a couple different, you know, characters here. We have the characters on the roof. We have Jesus you know, bringing the message or whatever he's doing. We have an excited crowd. We have an owner of the house. We have Pharisees too lurking outside. And I'm wondering, you know, you mentioned earlier too, Devin, about how they were all about the rules and and doing things a certain way. And I wonder if they're like, this is high church. You know, people aren't supposed to be breaking through ceilings to get to the rabbi. What animals? <laughs> These sinners are something. I don't know what to make of them. They're awful people, you know? The whole thing is just a contrast, I'm sure, of reactions. But I think at the end of the day, I think Jesus is smiling. I think Jesus just shook the dirt right out of his hair, picked the sticks out, whatever, and he looks at the stretcher in front of him, this man who has been lowered from above. And I think he looks up, he sees these four very expectant faces just looking down at him. But I think more than just seeing the faces, I think he saw their faith. Ooh. And it begs the question, do you have those kinds of friends? Do you have friends who fight for you, who have showed up for you in the tough times? Who have found a way to heal you, no matter what was against them? You know, Devin, I remember when I was going through a difficult time in my marriage, and there were some things that, and I won't go into the details, but there were some things that uh, came up that were that were ugly. They were, they were hard to deal with. Um, I felt like Everything that was happening in my marriage at the time was very public. Uh, We were heavily into ministry, and I think everyone kind of had an opinion about what should happen. Again, I don't want to go into all those details, but I just remember I thought there would be people who would kind of come alongside me and support me in that moment. Mm. And I would run into individuals, and the hardest part was to, to see them at church. And to see people just kind of turn and walk the other way. And I remember Glennon Doyle saying one time that the word crisis means to sift. Yes. Talk about that a little bit. I've, I've never forgotten. It's so visual. But the word crisis means there's a sifting that's going on. And I think it's true because when you're going through a difficult time, if you want to know the people that truly have your back, just see who's there standing beside you at the end of a crisis at the end of a difficult time. Hmm. The the rest just kind of fall away. There's a little bit of grieving that goes on there too, Devin. I think sometimes we elevate individuals in our lives and, and we think maybe we're closer than we are, Um, but there's nothing like a, a good crisis to kind of show the people who have your back. That's what this gentleman was finding. His crisis was not being able to walk, which means he couldn't be able to work. Um, he wasn't able to be social necessarily to go to church, if you will. He wasn't able to do a lot of things. And in this crisis, he found out who those friends really were for him. Yeah. It makes me wonder if this guy, Bob had, you know, say he had 20 friends before he was paralyzed. And then with being paralyzed, you know, comes the shame and the sin. And Julie, you'll touch on that here in a bit, how if you were paralyzed and that meant back in the day that you know, mm-hmm. your family must have sinned or you must have sinned to earn that punishment, quote unquote. So I wonder if once he was paralyzed, if those 20 friends dwindled down to these four people who were left there with him. 
like the four real ones. Like Devin, do you think, I mean, do you think that's how it's supposed to be that that's a way of finding out who really does have your back, who yeah. really has your best interest in heart? It's the sifting. It's exactly what that is. When there's crisis, there's sifting and God is sifting his friends out right here. Last week, I mentioned that quote by Richard Rohr that we are changed the most through one of two things, either great love or great pain. Woo, say that again. That is so good. It's not mine. I can't take credit for it. You know, like true transformation, true change in our life happens either through great love or great pain. I think that feeds into that sifting idea that when we're really going through it, yeah, there's something to be said about those who are kind of left behind and still have your back, you know, who are still there. You mentioned just a moment ago about this common, it was a theological belief really that um, individuals who were either blind or maybe suffering from leprosy, any kind of physical ailment meant that there was the presence of sin in in their lives. Um, If we look in John chapter nine, we see this, the Jesus and the, the disciples come across a man who was born blind And it's the first thing that they ask Jesus, the disciples who have been walking with Jesus and getting this truer understanding of what the good news is. And they say, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents? Right. There has to be one. Yeah, that's the only way they could explain that there was any kind of illness or sickness or or infirmity in someone's life. So we come back to our story here in this moment, by the way, and and the friend is lowered down and Jesus says something that is, I think, totally kind of out of whack. He, he looks at the man and he says, your sins are forgiven. And if I'm one of the four guys standing <laughs> up on top of the, up on top of the, you know, roof, I'm like, that's great and all, but like, that's not why we came. Yeah. Like fix his legs. I, I want to play ball, you know, we want to take him fishing. We want to do all these things. But I think Jesus realized that everyone there had an idea of why the man was paralyzed. And I think that it was this undercurrent of belief that the man was a sinful person. Yeah. And imagine how this man has been feeling too. You know, the whole community is telling him, you know, you must have sinned or your family must have sinned. So the guy already has so much shame that he's carrying with him as well. And so it's amazing that Jesus knew, hey, I'm going to fix your legs but also I'm going to fix your heart. Yeah, I think that even more than his legs being paralyzed, I think Jesus knew his faith was paralyzed. Right. It was paralyzed by that belief mm-hmm. that I'm inherently like an awful, shameful kind of person. I think he needed a new understanding of God. I think he needed a new understanding of of the character of God. I mean, that God is a God of compassion and love and not retribution So I think the man needed his faith restored so that he could walk again. I don't know, Devin, has your faith ever felt paralyzed? Like, I I think about that as a, as I was growing up as a child, I think my, my faith was very much paralyzed. I don't think I had a true understanding of who Jesus was. Um, It was hard to believe that Jesus wanted anything good for me. It, It goes back to the very first episode when I talked about how I think if I would have seen Jesus, I would have been scared to death. Mm-hmm. That he was not someone that I would run to. He was someone I would run away from. Yeah. And perhaps this paralytic felt the same way. And his faith needed to no longer be paralyzed. He needed the freedom that only Jesus can give. 
And so Jesus saw the faith of the friends, a faith that was made visible. It seems odd, doesn't it? When we talk about faith, doesn't that seem like a just kind of a, an abstract concept? And yet Jesus saw their faith. It was a tangible feeling. Yeah, you know how earlier you said, hey, I hate it when I go to the bathroom and I see something stuck in my teeth. Yeah. Like, I would always tell you, Devin, I just want you to know you have broccoli that's, <laughs> it's visible. I can see it. I can see the broccoli in your teeth. But how cool is it that Jesus can say, hey, Julie, I see your faith. Yeah, your faith is showing. Your faith is showing. <laughs> yes. What a great compliment. And I definitely want those people around me where their faith is just beaming. Yeah, yeah. Like, it begs the question, my friends, is your faith showing? And what does it look like when faith is showing? It means that we put words into action, I think. Yeah, when I talked about how you're the company that you keep, are you surrounding yourself with not only doers, but also those who are praying for you in the background or who truly want you to succeed? You know you have some of those friends where, like, you get a promotion and they're like, oh, I want a promotion. (laughs) Right? Or you get a new house, you're like, well, I want a new house. Like, or do you have the friends who are saying, hell yeah, you got a new house. Yeah. Um, I was the one the other, like a couple months ago, who was really jealous of your new house. I have a confession to make. I was not Mm. happy for you at all. Julie, see? I know. You're out. I'm just saying like, hey, new house for Devin and Katie, blech. No, I'm not happy (laughs) for you. No, of course, those are the people that you want around you. To rejoice, like, in the good times and to be present with you just in the bad. Exactly. Not only through the good, but are they praying for you in the bad? It makes you wonder if these friends who are around Bob the paralytic, if they had been praying for him for five, ten years. Right. Right? Like, Mm -hmm. and then they just, they knew when Jesus was coming that that was the opportunity to move Bob. Yeah. To heal Bob. So I want us to consider the power of relationships. Devin, we talked about this last week. I think it was last week or the, no, it was the week before the story of the Good Samaritan where the lawyer said, what is the most important commandment? What is the thing that I have to do? You know, we know that Jesus says that he asks us to do two things, to love God with everything that we have and to love our neighbors ourself. He didn't just say, love God, stop. I mean, he didn't turn it into idolatry where we are just to spend our entire day worshiping God. He expanded that. Like he improved that. He enhanced it by saying, don't just love God, but to love others. I mean, this faith that we have is a relational faith. It's not a, it's not a solo effort. We're called to do this in community. I think we have to be intentional about this, don't you, Devin? Yes. Because people are going to come and go in your life, but you have to be intentional about who you're keeping around you. You know, not too long ago, I saw a funny story on the internet and it really struck me. There is a hotel in Brussels where if you are alone, when you check into the hotel and and you don't want to spend the night alone, you can rent a fish. I love that. (laughs) this is the craziest thing I've ever, ever heard. Like if you're in need of company, you know, I guess here's a fish. You can literally rent a fish. Now this story is dedicated to Lauren Russell and I'm going to tell you why. Lauren is the great fact checker. Yes, she is. During our Bible studies, Lauren will go through and she's going to sift through all the, the things that we're talking about. Lauren, I'm telling you, you need to Google this. 
that lonely guests at a Belgian hotel can rent a fish for the night. But how sad is that? I mean, the longing for connection apparently has no boundaries. You know, God said in Genesis chapter 2 that it is not good for man to be alone. When you pull up to this Belgian hotel and you say, I'll take one room and I'll take one fish, please. (laughs) The vulnerability in saying, hey, I'm alone tonight and I would like some company. I think this relates to Bob, going back to the paralytic. I wonder if he had a moment in his life where he said, I'm broken, guys. Mm. Not only physically, but, you know, spiritually. Friends, I need help. Do we have the vulnerability today to reach out to our friends and say, help me out? I think we all are so stubborn. Like, at least I am speaking for myself. Rarely am I that person. I asked the question the other night, like if we were going through something difficult and we've been together for quite some time, we've developed really honest, brutal is the word that comes to mind. They're both brutal and beautiful relationships and that we've been sometimes painfully honest with each other. And yet I asked the question the other day, if you're going through a difficult time, would your first response be to pick up that phone and to call one of us in the group and say, I'm struggling today? And all of us the other night said, no, we probably wouldn't do that. Why? Because we don't want to bother anybody. I mean, why is it that when we are in need of just, even if it's a quick word, like, hey, I'm struggling today. And just to hear someone say, I I can't be there. I can't, I can't do anything to fix it, but I'm, I'm with you. I'm present. And yet even those of us in the closest of relationships sometimes struggle to show that vulnerability. And I think vulnerability is two-sided here. Vulnerability in saying, hey, I need help. But then there's also vulnerability in hearing Mm -hmm. the help that you're asking for. And I think that's the hard part. If I'm going to be vulnerable, I have to be vulnerable in hearing the hard truth, Mm -hmm. the hard love and truth. Oh, like so someone's response to you back, right? Right. Like who's going to tell me that, hey, this probably isn't for your best interest? And I think that plays a part in the people who you're surrounding yourself with. Are you surrounding yourself with people who are going to tell you the truth and love yeah. for the betterment of you, for them to carry you literally to Jesus to get healed? Do you have rip the roof off type friends? That is just the bottom line here, isn't it? Like, are those the kind of people that you're doing life with? And this isn't something that is outside the bounds of Jesus. When we look at how he did life, He gathered the people that he loved the most together, and they did everything together. You know, he said, let's be present together. Let's walk along the shore. Let's let's see how John down here is catching the fish today. Or, you know, let's let's sit out under the stars and and let's talk about what my father is doing. I can't imagine any other way of doing life than doing it with people who have your back. As I was looking at the text this week, I was thinking back to, Devin knows, um, one of my, if not my best friend, passed away in uh, 2014. By the way, like, yes, she was my very best friend, and I hated her when we first met. Was that funny? Oh, my God, hated her. Couldn't stand her. She just, I, like, my first impulse was not to, to like her at all. I just, and I didn't really even know her. And God says, watch what I do here with this just kind of shows off that way let me flip this upside down for you julie we talk about the upside down kingdom and he flipped this one right upside down just absolutely adored her fell in love with her um she was just amazing and um 
uh, she and her husband together were just kind of like a power couple. They were mm. they were great. But anyways, uh, she was diagnosed with a rare form of cervical cancer around 2012. And so those of us who knew her best decided we were going to have her back through the whole thing. She was told up front she would have no more than about two years to live. Wow. So we had to be very intentional about gathering together. So what we did is we kind of called ourselves the chemo sabis, like chemo meaning chemotherapy. But chemo sabi was a term from the Lone Ranger. And he had an Indian sidekick. Oh, gosh, I can't remember his name. I want to say Tonto, but I don't know if that's the case. But his sidekick would look at the Lone Ranger and he would call him chemo sabi, which I think meant like, good friend. So we called ourselves the chemo sabis. But when we got together, we decided that she was not going to go through those two years by herself. Like we were going to be with her. And so we did everything together. We spent as much time together as we could. Sometimes it was sitting at her side um, as she was having treatment, you know, and just being present with her. But we did everything. We, We visited Amish country. We would watch movies together and we would share bread and wine and we would sit and drink coffee around the, the fire. And, and, and we knew that none of that could fix her condition. We knew that none of those things that we were doing could cure the cancer. But we knew there was so much power in just being present with her and for her. I was with her the night we transferred her down to a hospice facility. And we thought she had a few more days ahead of her, not much, but... We got together, the chemo sabis, the very next night. We went just to be with her, and, and she was not conscious during that time, but we just were around her, and unbeknownst to us, the end came that very evening. We weren't planning on it, and I think she waited for all of us to get there, and she passed away that night. It leaves me speechless, but I know that in that moment, there was no other place that we could be. I mean, we had her back until the very end, and it was a loss, but it was again, one of the holiest moments of my life, to know that my friend passed from this world to the next. We were with her the moment she saw Jesus. Those are the people that I need in my life. And that's the type of companionship that we should all seek for, search for, pray for, and to give thanks when we find it. Because that is holy. It is. It is set apart. And, And those relationships just don't happen. No. Intentional work. At the end of the day, Devin, I mean, good friendships are going to cost you something, whether it's your time or your pride. And that's okay. I think it should come with a cost. I think that is a symbol that it's something that is worthwhile. And let's always remember that faith is something that we do together. And the story reinforces that. So at the same time, Devin, we want to thank people for being part of our it's not large yet. We hope it grows, but being a part of our, our little online community here. And we want to hear from people. We want to do life with you. We want to hear what's what's going on in your lives. Because it sure beats relying on a fish that you can rent for the night. It does. <laughs> so next week, we're going to continue talking about what it looks like to do life together. And it's one of the things that Devin says at the beginning and the end of the podcast, where she talks about pulling up a chair at Jesus's table So we want to talk about what we mean by that. We're going to be looking at some great scripture uh, surrounding this idea of communion beyond just a sacrament that's given on Sundays, but really talking about what I call table fellowship. Devin, do you have that scripture available? Yeah, so it's going to be 1 Corinthians 
chapter 11, verses 17 through 34. Yeah, and we're going to sprinkle in a little bit of Mark in that too. It's going to be great, you guys. I think it's going to be a real eye-opening bit of scripture. I want to invite you back to that. So check us out next week for sure. And we also want to invite you guys to visit us at stoveleg.com holy. And that's where you can submit any prayer requests or good news of your own. You could also visit us at the Jesus That's Good News Facebook page, where Julie shares a little bit of the scripture that we talk about on the podcast, but she also sends little nuggets of motivation throughout the week. And if you like the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. And if you don't like it, well, go spread good news anyway. So on behalf of Julie and myself, here's to the good news. May we be it. May we seek it. May we spread it. So pull up a seat. There's no reservation needed. Be well, friends.